0: I'll begin reading verse one. <clears throat> now brothers about times and dates we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. you are all sons of light, sons of day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we open up your word, we open up our hearts, our minds, to hear and receive what you want today. Lord, even as we continue on... part two of what we started last week, may we be open to thinking through this in a way that perhaps we did not before, that we would constantly want to be not only hearers but learners and doers of your word. For today is not about anything that I say, but it is about what are you saying here in your word. Help me to speak that. Fill us all this day for your purposes. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I didn't mean to turn it all the way off, sorry. This is where we are at in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We ended, if you remember, towards the very back, the very end of that. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will be with the lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words we left off really dealing last week with most of the questions about the rapture most of the big questions that uh, and putting through and dealing with the rapture answer last week encourage you to check it whether it's on the website youtube or facebook but there was one question that was left unanswered that for many people is the biggest one to them, and that question is, when? Okay, we understand about the rapture, some of the details, what's going to happen, on who, and all those kind of things, but when is it going to happen? When is Jesus coming for his church in the rapture? And let me start out today saying that at times... uh, This may seem, today's message may seem a little more detailed, a little more detailed teaching, less preaching. And even in that, let's not mistakenly portray this as somehow deeper just because it's more challenging to our thinking in our heads. That's not the biblical definition of deeper. We can't cover everything but only try to hit some of the bigger picture of the essentials here that God wants us to grasp as we try to come up with a more complete, well-rounded teaching about the rapture. And so therefore it seems, it doesn't seem the right thing for us to just skip over the one question that many talk about anyway, even though it may not be the most important one, it's one that's talked about. And what I'm going to do is just briefly go over, at the beginning here, briefly go over what each of the three main views of Christians today are, with some good points and some problem points that we will hit. And let's just say outside of those people or those who would say they're Christians that don't believe there is an actual rapture, they exist within even our community, and those who would not believe that there is a literal seven-day period of the tribulation, but it's all figurative or it's not at all, it's not, none of it's real outside of those people whatever we share today regarding this there's no need for any big debate there's no reason for this to divide us about the rapture and when jesus will come because even the christian missionary alliance our denomination even the christian missionary alliance does not take a stance on which is the view is the right one all right so as we're starting this out You start here, you have one way you're thinking, you start hearing something different. You know, you don't have to storm out. You don't have to find me afterwards and corner me. You know, this is just like, I'm going to put information out here. And and you'll see as we work through it, it's not something that is meant to divide or in any way. Uh, And in fact, instead of trying to deal with, go through each each view and all the details of and it's really man's views I want us to look at some key biblical issues as it deals with the rapture and the way to look at some key biblical issues is to just follow up 1st Thessalonians 4 which is talking about the rapture with 1st Thessalonians 5 right it just is part of the context it's just a part of where we're going so what are a couple of key issues in 1st Thessalonians 5 we're going to look at that this morning First, let me just go ahead and lay out, in case you haven't heard before, lay out some of the different views on the rapture of when. The first one would be the pre-trib, or the pre-tribulational rapture view. This is the belief that the rapture will take place prior, pre, before the tribulation, when Jesus will come back in the air, in the clouds, where the church will be taken out, caught up together with Jesus to meet up with the church, his people, and then the tribulation will happen, meaning the Antichrist will be revealed, those will be associated with all other things we talked about in Matthew 24, a ways back is going to take place. And then seven years later, Jesus will come back to earth, feet on the ground to take over and reign for a thousand years on this earth in the millennium... Before getting to the rest, including the new heaven and new earth. All right. So that is the pre-trib rapture view. That for many people within an evangelical culture in recent decades and the last couple decades have been one that has been uh, taught or seen in in a lot of different venues. All right. Next one. (coughs) Mid-trib. The mid-tribulational rapture view. This is a belief that the rapture of the church will take place at the midpoint in the tribulation when the church will be caught up and taken out of here. But the church will endure the first three and a half years but be taken out before the last three and a half years that they would see as a period of divine wrath. They would call it the great tribulation. So the church would be spared... Most of the worst of the tribulation that comes from God. And then that three and a half years would finish out. Jesus would come back. And the same things I just mentioned about the other. There are some similarities uh, in the mid-trib between the mid-trib and the pre-trib. And actually similarities in the mid-trib and post-trib. There's kind of they're in the middle. Not exactly, but it's kind of. I'm, I'm simplifying. <clears throat> Finally... The other view that is more most common is a post-trib post-tribulational view. These are the and when I say that not that the post-trib is most common, but these three together are the most common. The post-trib view they believe that the rapture will take place after or at the end of the tribulation. For those in this camp, they believe in a at least those who believe in a literal rapture, they would say. It takes place at the same event timing as Christ coming down for the second coming. In other words, he just makes a stop, so to speak, swings by, picks up the church, who gets caught up in the air with him, translated into the glorified bodies, and then will come down with him literally to the earth to set up his kingdom in the millennium. So it just kind of happens at one time. Now some would say there's only therefore one coming, but... He does have to get the church and bring bring us here. So it's all kind of all one kind of thing as it moves on here. So which one? Which is the rapture, the real rapture view, right? Well, to find that out and really for us to decide, it needs to be not just what does man teach and all those kind of things, but what are some biblical principles of the rapture that we see even here in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. And the first one that we're going to look at, and really basically just three today, the first one we're going to look at is to look for a rapture of imminence. If we're looking for when that rapture comes, come, is to look for a rapture of imminence. Verse 2, let's go to 1st the Thessalonians 5. Yeah, obviously, now brothers, as a beginning with one, about times and dates we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It was also a popular movie long, long ago. How many of you saw that movie? Probably some of you uh, were in church, right? Yes, some might have even been saved during that movie, uh, through that the ministry of that movie. So the thief is coming. Here's, here's the thing as you think about that. There's no doubt that the thief is coming. This is not preventing the thief from coming. The thief is coming. The rapture is coming, all right? It will come like a thief in the night. It's coming. But the thie- a thief does not call ahead before robbing someplace, does he? Does a thief knock on the door first? Hey, I'm here to rob you today. You know, the, the thief doesn't do that. The whole point is that you would not know when the thief is coming. And really, you may not even know that the thief is in your house. That's part of the point, is that you wouldn't even know that the thief is there. And since we would not know the time, then his coming is unexpected. His coming, that thief, will come suddenly. It could happen at any moment. How many recall the parable of the ten virgins that we talked about in Matthew 25 a number of weeks ago? Five foolish and five five wise uh, virgins or bridesmaids. They were to be ready at any moment, any minute. Not... That something else had to take place or something else had to happen. They had to be ready. They didn't know when the bridegroom was coming. That's the next thing that was going to happen. The bridegroom was going to show up to take them to be with him. They had to be ready at any moment. The bridegroom is coming for us. It's about Christ coming for us. And the rapture, we would say, is imminent or at any minute. A rapture that is at any minute imminent. By the way, way, a quick side note. There are those who mistakenly have taken it literally to mean, well, Jesus is going to come at night. So it's a thief at night. Jesus is only going to come at night. Now, there's a number of things we could say about that, but you do realize that when Jesus comes for believers, he's coming for believers in the whole world, and that right now there are places it's night when it's our day. All right? So when you start hearing somebody shh, Talking about things. This, is, I mean, this may sound silly to some of you, but this is the stuff that gets said about end times things. Somebody said, oh, you, you know Jesus is coming out of the night. It's going to be. Now, maybe figuratively, but literally it's not possible at this point in time. Uh, so think through when you hear something. Think that through. Even what I'm saying to you, I'm saying today, listen, I'm going to throw out some stuff here. You need to think through this, but through not only the Holy Spirit, but what is the Word of God saying? What does it say? And some of the things that God's Word says about this is you too be patient and firm because the Lord's coming is near. There are other places like in Revelation 1 and in Revelation 22, basically a similar thing. Blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart for what is written because the time is near. Chapter 22 says the same thing. It seems that people in the Bible times, in Jesus' time after he was taken from this earth, were expecting Jesus to return at any moment in their lifetime. How many of you can remember John chapter 21, the whole restoring of Peter at at the... uh, uh, lakeside restoring of Peter and everything going on, and a rumor that started because they misread Jesus' words or what he said. But the rumor started that the Apostle John was going to be alive when Jesus came back, meaning that you know that's that's they they heard that's what they kind of heard, and they just kind of added their own interpretation to it. The Apostle John is going to be alive when Jesus come back. The point of that is that they believed Jesus was going to come back. And obviously they were wrong about John, but they really did believe Jesus was coming back any minute, at any minute, any time he could come back. It wasn't going to be something. There was a long time. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We read in chapter 22 verse 20 of Revelation, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the attitude Looking forward to soon, quickly, without delay, imminent. That's what they had. That's the way they looked at it in in those times. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there. We're eagerly awaiting a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, we are. He he was saying of himself, not, you know, maybe on later somebody things will happen, it'll happen. No, we're eagerly awaiting right now. And so, for some, it's hard for a post-tribulational person to fully support imminence in the way that we're talking about it at any minute. That crisis could come at any time. Because for a post-tribulational person, before the rapture happens, the tribulation needs to happen. And there are lots of things that we read in the Word of God that are going to happen in the tribulation That have to happen beforehand. So it can't happen at any minute. In other words Jesus can't. In a post-tribulation view. Come back at any minute. Because there are other things that have to happen first. Last week in 1 Thessalonians 4. It seems that there was some confusion. Regarding the end times by the Thessalonians. It may be. That they thought that they had missed. The rapture. But if the prevailing view was one of a post-tribulational way of looking at it, that would mean that they didn't just think that they had missed the rapture, but that they had missed the tribulation, because the tribulation happens before the rapture. I'm not sure how you missed the tribulation. Maybe you missed the rapture. You know, maybe you think you missed the rapture, but I'm not sure how you miss the tribulation. If that's what their problem was, and here's the thing: if the Thessalonians really believed that the church was going to go through the tribulation first, then would they be that concerned that their loved ones died before it happened? Wouldn't they be happy that their loved ones got to die and be with Christ and not have to go through the tribulation, which is what a, a pre-trib view would say? Or it's easier to think, you know. Would they get confused and saddened that their loved ones who had died in Christ would miss the rapture before the tribulation? Could it be that that's what concerned them, that they were going to miss the rapture that happened before the tribulation somehow and not be a part of all of that? Here's another one of those special side notes. It's conceivable that some mid and post-tribulation views, definitely certain millennial views, do not make a distinction between Israel and the church. They're not seeing those as two separate groups of people or two separate times of fulfillments of prophecy. And I just say this to make note, since there are some who talk biblically about the importance of Israel, and yet they hold eschatological, and yet they hold end times views that are in contradiction to that and they're just not, nobody's challenging, nobody's stopping them to say, hey, think for a minute. You're saying that you believe Israel and separate and the things that happen and what's going to all goes on, and yet the view that you hold is not that view. The view that you hold is in contradiction to that. Those in the pre-tribulation view of the rapture would see their position as the best one in support of imminence, that it could happen at any moment. There's a sense in that line of reasoning that neither the mid or the post-trib rapture views can happen at any moment, right? Even a mid-tribulation rapture can't happen at any moment. There would have to be some things that would need to take place to get into the tribulation. So, to go that direction, we would either need to change how we view these verses and what sudden, soon, and unexpected mean, In other words, a mid and a post-tribulation person would need to define imminent different than what I've just been defining imminent. Would have to look at it differently. I'm not saying that that's impossible to think that way, but a post-trib and the variations would try to say, listen, you can't separate the rapture and the coming. They all take place on the. and it says right here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, they will take place on the day of the Lord. That day of the Lord, we just read it in verse 2, for you know very well that that day of the Lord is a day. It'll take place. And yet, throughout the scriptures, the word day, and there's different words for day in the original, uh, that day doesn't always, not always mean 24 hours, but rather a, a period of time. It, it's a, it's a, 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 a time. That day. When God will reign supremely. It's not talking about one day when he will reign supremely, but a day, a period of time, a general description. So that, you know, just thinking about a thousand, you know, the thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Thinking through that, it's what, what all of this. So as we think about this, between the rapture and the second coming... And trying to say that they have to be together is not necessarily a concern, especially in relationship to the others. All right, so when is the rapture going to happen in regard to imminence? In regard to imminence of what it's saying is going to come like a thief in the night. When is that going to take place? Well, we're not going to say right yet, right? Because we got to go to the next point. we got to look for a rapture of deliverance. rapture of deliverance. Look at verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There is that tribulation time. There is that all that will take place. The destruction will come and they will not escape. But it doesn't mean not everybody will escape. As we go on down in verse 9, we read, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the whole time here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's saying there is a difference. They will not be able to escape, but there's a difference between you who are children of the light and those who are of the darkness. It's not going to take you by surprise. It will take them. It is a whole different way of thinking, recognizing as many would say in verse 9, therefore that... God does not have wrath and darkness planned for his people. Jesus is already taking, has already taken all of his wrath on the cross and delivered us from that before the tribulation comes. Why would God's people go through a wrath when the wrath of God has already been poured out upon Jesus on behalf of them and they've already received that? Uh, let's look at some verses that deal with this. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us in First Thessalonians 1, 9. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So in case for some reason we're thinking that that's not about what it's about, it's just about uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's just about wrath in general. There is a coming wrath that is is talking about. As well, Luke chapter 21, verse 34 and following. Be careful, your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. That day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And then Revelation 3, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, here's the thing in this one, since being kept, I will also keep you from the hour. That we're from actually could have two different meanings as we're looking at in this passage. I will keep you from this hour versus I will keep you through this hour. Those are two different things. One is that I will take them out of danger. They will escape because earlier, those who are not, those who are unbelievers, those who are of the darkness, will not escape this time, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 there, but that God's people will escape. And so, as those especially in the pre-trib camp would appeal that the meaning of this to the meaning of this word is, I will keep them from this hour. And not just, I will keep them from this trial, it says, I will keep them From the hour of the trial. Not just keep them from the trial, but from the hour, from the timing of when that takes place. I will keep them from experiencing that time of the trial. The time of the trial would be the tribulation. I will keep them from that time of the trial. The pre-trib would view then the God removing all believers in preparation for judgment of the tribulation... ...as a time of God's wrath. And that's what that is. Uh, Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? It is about God's wrath come. Who should be able to stand? A- and this is in Revelation 6. There's still a lot more yet to come. And wrath is being poured out. This is not just of the end of time type of thing, but this is going through the, the things in Revelation for that great day of wrath comes. So the pre-trib would question is, how can we go through an experience of the wrath of God, as it's called, and those who are in Christ are no longer under any condemnation, as Romans 8 says. We're not meant to suffer wrath because Christ already took the full wrath of our propitiation sacrifice on his cross. Those who believe that Jesus comes to rapture us out of the tribulation then, out before the tribulation, think about dealing this, that the rapture is giving us... Uh, delivering us from the tribulation. Like he's done in other times. I mean Noah and the Ark. Right? God's wrath poured out Noah and during Noah's time. God did not just say says, God did not just deliver them through, like, you know what? Hey they're out there the flood happened but god gave them supernatural strength so they could tread water a really long time he helped them through it you know he didn't just help them through it he delivered them out of it so to speak they didn't have to experience the flood and the danger and the and the overwhelmingness that uh, destruction in their own lives obviously in the lives of those around them but not themselves they were delivered from God's wrath through the ark. But is deliverance from God's wrath the only way to read this? Past these passages that we've just mentioned? Is that the only way? And we've already said, no, it's not the only way. There's a difference in thinking from or through tribulation. Has God protected the church through times of tribulation? through things that have happened very badly, to uh, uh, persecution of the church? He has. And there were those who would say, God will continue to do that. There has been plenty of little t tribulations that have come to the church that God has delivered us through. Not from, not keeping us from having to experience them, but He has delivered the church through it. God has helped the people through the fire and through the flood. And in fact, God has used the fire of those tribulations to purify the faith of His people. God's been used to dealing with His people in this way and delivering them through, throughout the Word of God. Which is part of the reason that those who might have that mid-trib view split the difference there. Those who have the post-trib view would say that's what's going on. There is a deliverance of God's people, but it is through. And and those in the mid-trib kind of straddle the middle line, so to speak, because they would say that God delivers the church through the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, but then God takes the church out of the second half, the second three and a half years, because that is when God's wrath happens. They would see it perhaps that man's wrath or Satan has been allowed to do these kind of things has happened in the first three and a half years, but that God's wrath has not, does not take place until after three and a half years when the great tribulation actually begins. Again, that's trying to make an uh, argument from omission um, just like pre-tribs make arguments from omission by saying, hey, the church is not mentioned. It's uh, The church in Revelation uh, up to chapter 3 or right around that time, the church is mentioned numerous times. You look for the word church, you'll find it numerous times. You will not find the word church until like chapter 22 in Revelation then. So it's not the church isn't mentioned in Revelation. It's just at the beginning it's mentioned a whole lot. It's mentioned at the end, but it's not mentioned in between. And you know what happens in between? The tribulation. And so they would argue that the church is not mentioned during that time of the tribulation because the church isn't in the tribulation. Now, it sounds good. And I'm not saying that that can't be one of your things that you use as the way, way you believe. But it's usually not best to... Stand our arguments on omission of what's not in God's word. It's better to use what is in God's word. What is there? In the same way, with this, the midtrib view talk about this uh, that I was just mentioning. Uh, some would question how we can see that those early on judgments are not ultimately a wrath from God. How ca- how can that not be those things? How can they not be coming from God? Early on, before the great tribulation, not only as the judgment seals are being poured out, but even before that, there is this scene in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. I have a couple different slides up here that will cover this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat at the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. And one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. You recognize that the seals, the seven seals deal with the judgments of God. Then, you read in chapter 6, right after this, in case you didn't get, that only Jesus was able to open. Only Jesus, God, was able to open the seals of judgment. Then, in Revelation 6, I watched as the land opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four creatures saying in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and there before me a white horse, its rider, held a bow, and was given a crown, and he rode out, Conqueror bent on conquest, When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and it talked about that rider and what took place. The point of this is that if only the second half of the tribulation is God's wrath, then why is it God is opening the seals that's bringing the wrath of these things? That's bringing this. To say that it's not his, it is God, Jesus, who is opening these. There's some questions that need to be answered in, in this, thinking through. it Would be a stretch to say that God's wrath is, is not coming when it is the Lamb of God? Who is the one who brings that? Who opens that? There are other issues uh, to work out. All the timing a, in, a, in, a, in a mid-trib view. Uh, opening of the seventh seal, the great day of wrath, and Revelation 6.17, but the seven seals mentioned in the 7.14, the sixth seal would come before the seventh trumpet in the mid-view, and all kinds of... just uh, There's a lot of different timings that sometimes just don't seem to match up. It sounds good when you put it in, a, in, in one part, but the other parts don't match up. The same way can be said about all of these views. In fact, let's pick on the pre-trip for a moment. Doesn't it seem like it's easier for Christians to look forward and want the rapture to happen sooner than later? I mean, who wants... How many would like the rapture to happen later? How many would like to go through the tribulation? Okay. You know, so here's the thing: we we want a pre-trib rapture. That's part of that. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing. You know, not only because it would happen, we wouldn't have to go through that, but because there's nothing that has to take place. It can happen at any minute. Right now, we look forward to be with Jesus, getting out of here, getting out of the tribulation. Could it be that we could lose some objectivity in deciding which is the right view of the rapture by? leaning into this somewhat selfishly thinking to ourselves well i really don't want to be a part of this and i think this is what it's going to be even while the rest of the world is in terrible straits it needs to be delivered longs to be delivered needs for christ to come set up his reign and rule in their hearts today so that they don't a part of that then all of the views need to explain about the saints and the tribulation earlier in chapter in revelation chapter seven or later than this in revelation chapter seven there's a, uh, talking about the great multitudes from every tribe and nation, thrown. They're all worshiping God. And then this happens in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they and where do they come from? Sir, you know, he said, they are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the martyrs of faith in Jesus who came out of the great tribulation. We've got to be able to explain that. you have got to be able to explain how is it if the church gets raptured out before the tribulation, we have those in Christ who went through tribulation. The tribulation, and this is not just for the pre trib, but for the mid trib, because the mid trib say, Well, it's the great tribulation, the one that really matters. It says great tribulation right there. So, how do we explain that there are believers in that tribulation if they've all been taken out? Well, and this isn't the only place that's talked about believers in trib, uh, Revelation 13 7. And it was given, this is about the beast, was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, tongue. Uh, You can check out other places like Revelation 20 verse 9. The the point is if the church is raptured, how do we get believers in the tribulation? There are those who would say that these are two different words. The church, we're talking about the church and this time in the church, but then there still are believers in the tribulation. It's just the church is taken out. That doesn't mean that people don't start, don't keep believing and come to know Christ in the tribulation. There's so much more to all of this in the whole context of other end times happening, but it includes those who believe in Christ in the tribulation that are both Jewish and Gentile. Uh, just imagine the rapture takes place in in whichever view. Let's just take the pre-trib view. The rapture takes place. Can you imagine the media spin? Of the absence of all of these people suddenly, suddenly just disappearing from this earth. Now, imagine the spinning that's going on in the minds of those who knew some of those people, those who were family members, who grew up in church, never always knowing, never following, and being committed. Those who have heard the gospel were rejected. Can you imagine their response as the world just continues to go farther, farther into a terrible tribulation that some would turn to Jesus? They've heard about or that they would hear about even as the evangelization of the Jewish people coming back to God takes place during the tribulation time. And here's the next thing that needs to be explained by these views. If all the believers are raptured out and resurrected and with Jesus and and the unbelievers are judged before the millennium, who are the believers in the tribulation that had a mortal human body that will go into the millennium? Obviously, We've just established there are some who are martyred for their faith in Christ during the tribulation. But there are still others who are alive in human bodies that go into the thousand-year reign, the millennium. Those who will be married, have children, great-grandchildren, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Isaiah 65 is where we looked earlier and we interpreted Isaiah 65 in an earlier message as a millennial Uh, A thousand-year reign, kingdom passage, not something about heaven. Because that's where he talked about in the what will lay down with the lamb? The wolf will lay down with the lamb, not the lion. Remember we talked about that? All right, so in that same passage, same exact place in verse 20, never again... Will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, an old man who does not live out his years, the one who dies, dies at a hundred? We've been talking about the lion or the wolf laying down with the lamb. We've been talking about the millennium and the thousand year reign to say the one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child, the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So there are those who have mortal. Still, this fleshly bodies that enter into the millennium. Revelation 20. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. So, when the millennium's over, towards the end, Satan released, and he will go out to deceive the nations of four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle. And in number, they are like sands on the seashore. Satan is going to go out and deceive some towards the very, 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 very end. He's not going to deceive unbelievers. They're not in the... I mean, they didn't enter into the... They didn't enter into the millennium. He's not going to deceive those who were raptured because they received their glorified bodies. They already... I mean, it's like you've got your body that eternity is set. You're not going to be tempted and going off So there are those who are going to, like that old man, die. There are those who are going to be mortal in the millennium who will be married and have children. And eventually those people, as the earth continues to be populated by those who are in their mortal bodies, will be deceived by Satan at that very end. But how does that happen If everyone who is a believer gets raptured out and gives a glorified body, especially in a post-tribulational view. The post-trib says, tribulation, rapture, Jesus comes, sets up the kingdom. Everybody's, all who are believers are, everybody else, those who are unbelievers, they're out. But those in the millennium, if they're all believers, if they're all received their glorified body, who's the one that's going to be? Deceived? Who's the one that's going to die, so to speak, of the hundred years? uh, If a hundred years was uh, considered young, there are a number of questions part of what I'm trying to say in this, and 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 I told you ahead of time, there's going to be some more detailed teaching, but there's a lot to it. That a lot of times we've heard from somebody and some preacher, that's why I'm not trying to tell you right here. Some preacher's told you this is it and you say, yeah, that's it. Or I listen to this guy on TV and, whoo, he's got it and that's what it is. But he hasn't told you everything, has he? have not dealt with all the different things that this is. So which view is correct when we've only scratched the surface on a number of questions for each of these views? And I don't think we can be dogmatic of saying which one is the right one to say this one. The reality is I I don't think you can say I know this is the right view of the rapture. I think we can say I think this is the right view of the rapture because there is not 100% clear cut scriptures that clearly directly spell out, say it without a doubt teaching No way that you could look at it any other way that can be relied upon without some assumptions and interpretations. So what do we do? Well, there's two things. The first is more of something I've heard or thought about. The second is really what the Bible is talking about. But here's the first thing, just a thought. I think we should pray for pre-trip and prepare for post. You know, I, I, in some ways I think wisdom would be to pray for pre-prepare for post. But could it be said that none of those views are correct? That there's a sense that all the views have weak, not just that they have weaknesses in their points and all that, but it could it come back to the actual picking of the, the, the time of when Jesus is going to come back? I, I realize we're not picking the exact date, but we're still dealing with the time that would say, that, that goes, some would say, goes against what the, what the Father said nobody was going to know, like in Matthew 24. Perhaps many of us would actually be more ready if we weren't really sure. Because, see, that's the next part if you're looking for a rapture you need to look for a rapture of readiness that leads us to readiness for some people if a post-tribulational view is like, well I know this stuff is going to happen in the tribulation this, 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 and then then I'll get my bags packed to go up to heaven, then I'll unpack some of this bad stuff in my life and I'll kind of get ready, but if at any minute it could happen we need to be ready. If we're not sure, even if it's not any minute, we're not sure it could be any minute, maybe not. I know there are some who are thinking that Jesus seems like his coming is late, but I guarantee you there are also people who will think when he comes that he came early. Earlier than expected, I can just imagine it now, hearing somebody saying, Oh, my Jesus, you're, wow, you're here already. <laughs> I can't believe you're here already. I, I was hoping to be up. You know, nah, it's okay, I'm glad you're here. I wish you would have given me just a little warning before you came. You know what? He did. In fact, that's what the message, that's what all of this is about. It's not about the when. It's about being ready again and again. So perhaps the right view that matters is the one that leads us to question whether you and I are ready. If there's an in, in, imminence of any minute that this rapture can happen suddenly, there will be a watchfulness. And if there is a watchfulness, there will be a readiness. Because those who are ready do not need to know when the rapture comes. If we are always ready as we should be, we don't need to know. Because we're ready. Always ready. Always ready. And what is said in First Thessalonians 5 verse 4 here is that day will not surprise us at all then. Because we are children of light who are ready. Ask that the worship team would come. Let's just close with this part and, and look at that final verse. In, that we were looking at in our passage in First Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Guess what? That's how he ended chapter 4. In chapter 4, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Here in this verse, here's what it's about ultimately. It was something, the one thing that was important enough for God to repeat was that we should encourage one another about this, about the rapture. It should not be something that brings division or discord or disagreement about it. Instead, it should be something that encourages us, exhort one another, encourage one another to be ready. Not just some academic exercise of expanding our head knowledge. But getting our heart and our life ready. And encouraging one another for that. Father, I pray that you'd help us in all of these things. Have the view that you want us to have on the rapture Not about what is the the right man's view on this And when and all these things Which camp should I be in But we should not be looking for This sign or that sign Or this thing to happen or that We should not be looking for the when We should be looking for you, Jesus That's what it's about Rapture is about you coming for us Let us have a heart that longs for, that is watching and waiting and wanting you, Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.